Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Millennial in the Middle. I'm Connor DeLynn. Happy Independence Day. Today isn't going to be a typical episode. It's going to be quite a bit shorter with a story and a takeaway. And I want this, hopefully, to be something that you think about and ponder on as you go about your celebrations of our freedom and independence this July 4th weekend. So, why do we celebrate on July 4th? I think most of us could give the textbook answer that July 4th is the day that the Declaration of Independence was signed in Philadelphia in 1776. But I want to look a little bit more today into the story of the men that were there representing the colonies and making that decision to declare independence from Britain. Obviously, all the things that happened to get us to this point in the first place of the colonies feeling that they weren't represented, the whole phrase of taxation without representation had come to a head. The British had tried more and more and more to try and control these colonies, and they realized that if they were going to overcome British control, they would have to come together. Now, what I think a lot of people don't understand about the early history of the United States and the colonies is that the colonies really viewed themselves as independent from one another. Their cultures, their religions, their philosophies, their political stances were not one united stance. It was lots of groups of different people with different backgrounds that had different reasons of coming to America in the first place that really worked better when they existed separately, just as neighbors. But to gain independence from Great Britain, there was a realization that these colonies needed to unite, that they needed to come together. But there was a major challenge to that. They disagreed on almost everything. They agreed on the fact that they wanted to be free from the British. And in fact, not everyone even thought that to the same extent. Those in the South or those in different places in America had more ties to Great Britain than others. And not everyone's fully in support of this cause of independence. But what happens? In the summer of 1776, starting in June, the 13 colonies basically all send delegates to meet in Philadelphia to try and kind of convince each other to come together that the time had come for us to unite and declare independence from the motherland. Now, they basically have their first meeting in June, and they decide, let's draft a document. And it wasn't all of the delegates that then sat in a room and debated over word over word, you know, word after word of what was going to be talked about in the Declaration of Independence. They created a committee of five people. Now, on this committee of five, they tried to have people from as many different states and kind of the main thoughts there, the different regions of these colonies. And it consisted of John Adams of Massachusetts, Benjamin Franklin of Pennsylvania, Thomas Jefferson of Virginia, Robert Livingston of New York, and Roger Sherman of Connecticut. 
Now, even with this committee of five, they weren't all going to sit down and write this together. So they kind of had to decide between each other who was going to take the lead in drafting this document. Now, originally, the delegates actually pushed for Richard Henry Lee, who is the author of the Lee Resolution, to write the Declaration of Independence, not Thomas Jefferson, like ended up happening. But over some circumstances basically changed the course of history here. Lee was given another task to write what would be known later on as the Articles of Confederation. Basically, what are our rules going to be as United States here? And so he didn't take the, that lead role in writing the Declaration of Independence. And at this point, Thomas Jefferson didn't even really want to take this responsibility upon himself. In fact, he felt that John Adams should be the one to take the lead here. And there is, you can actually read this little argument, not argument, but this conversation that Thomas Jefferson and John Adams have together of basically being humble here and saying, no, no, you write it, you write it, no, no, you write it. And John Adams basically ends up winning this argument and says, you can write 10 times better than I can. And Jefferson then responded, well, if you were decided, I will do as well as I can. And here's what a lot of people might not know about Thomas Jefferson at the time of writing the Declaration of Independence. He was only 33 years old. He was only 33 years old. He was the youngest in this committee of five. But then on the other end of the spectrum is Benjamin Franklin, who at the time of the, de the drafting of the Declaration of Independence was 70 years old. So, you know, to kind of give our generational theory here, if we were to look at it, Thomas Jefferson was the millennial. Benjamin Franklin was the boomer. Benjamin Franklin had the experience. He was independently wealthy. He was a scientist, a free thinker. He had been abroad to France and to England and was respected, was probably the most famous person in the colonies at the time. He is known as the first American. Yet the responsibility of drafting this declaration was going to be put on a 33-year-old who was talented was skilled, who people respected that maybe he was up and coming, but really hadn't done anything to prove it yet. So Thomas Jefferson then takes the next 17 days to draft what we see now as the Declaration of Independence. And the only person he really consults with during these 17 days is Benjamin Franklin. And I like to think about their relationship here. And, you know, I'm definitely using some creative liberties here as the boomer and the millennial of Benjamin Franklin understanding that, you know, Thomas Jefferson, you're the future. It's going to take you and your generation to figure out if this American experiment can work. And having no idea if this was going to take if this was going to work or not let alone all of these men that knew they were about to sign their name on the declaration of independence were committing treason and knew that they could all be hanged for you know as a way of punishment for this act but determined they sat down and they did it anyway now we all know a lot of the most famous lines in the Declaration of Independence. Of course, we know the line that all men are created equal, 
the power behind that statement. And yes, it was written in a time by a slave owner in a society that women could not vote. Uh, slavery existed. Like we weren't even close to that as a people, but that American ideal was born. That all men are created equal and trying to define then what that meant is those inalienable rights. Now, a little bit of history on these phrases. One of the men that they looked up to as a philosopher that paved the way for what would be, you know, America, the Constitution, and these free independent states, or these free United States, excuse me, was John Locke. And John Locke wrote years before that all men were entitled to the rights of life, liberty, and property. That was the phrase. It wasn't the pursuit of happiness like we know today. Life, liberty, and property. But as Thomas Jefferson sat down to make a similar statement, he didn't want to just say property. He knew that the purpose of life wasn't just about amassing wealth or amassing property and having that opportunity in life, but that it actually went beyond. Now, the story goes like this, and some of this might be myth. Some of this might be a little bit uh, basically uh, you know, fictionalized as we tell it. But the story goes that Thomas Jefferson then wrote the words in early drafts of the Declaration of Independence that men were all given that were all given the right the inalienable right of life liberty and happiness and then you know he writes this out and he then starts taking drafts to the much older the much wiser and the person that he looked up to Benjamin Franklin Benjamin Franklin read over that and it said that he looked at it and he said well happiness isn't guaranteed But what we can guarantee, what we can promise to our people, is the pursuit of it. Benjamin Franklin, later on in life, when speaking about the Constitution, said this. He said, the U.S. Constitution doesn't guarantee happiness, only the pursuit of it. You have to catch up with it yourself. I love that simple truth. Happiness is not guaranteed in this life. But what we should all afford one another is the right to pursue it and give each other as good of a chance as possible to make happiness a reality and a state of being that we can actually achieve. Now, I recently read an article that was published by Eric Buer, if I'm saying that right, and he put it this way. He said, the pursuit of happiness today in popular culture is not the kind of happiness America's founders declared as an inalienable right. If we are to have a flourishing society in the 21st century, we must raise a generation that knows what it truly means to pursue happiness. When the founders referred to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in the Declaration of Independence, they were not advocating a license to simply pursue pleasure. It was understood to be the pursuit of a virtuous or morally upright life under the authority of God. In that context, liberty means the right to do as you ought instead of the right of doing whatever you feel like doing. He goes on to say, imagine what America would be like if everyone was motivated by love thy neighbor. Love is not a feeling. It is a willing. It is a willingness to act for the good of someone. 
In today's culture, we have reduced love to a mere passion, desire, feeling. However, true love, agape love, is an act of the will to do what is right for the good of another. That is a virtuous life. To give a little bit of light on how the Founding Fathers felt about happiness, this is a quote from Benjamin Franklin. He said, I believe God is pleased and delights in the happiness of those he created. And since without virtue, man can have no happiness in this world, I firmly believe he delights to see me virtuous because he is pleased when he sees me happy. Now, John Locke, who I talked about a minute ago, Life, Liberty, and Property are the words that he wrote. He wrote of happiness and said this, The necessity of pursuing happiness is the foundation of liberty. He explained that God joined virtue and public happiness together and made the practice thereof necessary to the preservation of society. As further evidence of how the founders viewed virtue and the pursuit of happiness, this is what they outlined in the Northwest Ordinance of 1787. They said religion, morality, and knowledge are necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind. Schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. Now, while we do have a separation of church and state in our country, and that is such a good thing, I, like I am not advocating in any way that those two are together, I don't think there should be a separation in our country of government and virtue, of government and morals of government and the golden rule. So my challenge to you this weekend would be to think of this. What are you doing on the pursuit of happiness? How are you doing? And how can you make sure that others are given the right to pursue that happiness in the same way that you are? Our nation was far, far from perfect. In 1776, our nation is far, far from perfect now. But neither of those truths should be a disappointment. Neither of those facts should be something that should have us down in the dumps or not feel passion and excitement and love for our country on a weekend like this. Rather, we should say, man, we are closer to that vision that Thomas Jefferson had and Benjamin Franklin had for our nation today than we were back in 1776. And by next July 4th, we'll be, be a little bit better, both individually and collectively as a nation. That is really the only rational goal for a society, is continuous improvement, getting better. In closing here, what I thought I would do is just read a few sections of the Declaration of Independence. So, going back to our historical story, Thomas Jefferson then takes 17 days to come up with this draft of the Declaration of Independence. Benjamin Franklin kind of helps him along those different drafts. He then brings what he put together to the Continental Congress to show off what he had worked on and what he had come up with. They then spend a few days as a collective group making some tweaks, making some changes, and then on July 4th, complete it, 
sign it, starting with John Hancock, signing it as largely as he could and making the statement, I sign my name this large so that the king doesn't need to put on his reading glasses to see my name. He was that proud of this movement and that document. And this is what parts of it said. It started with the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A, dis a decent respect of the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer, while evils are sufferable, than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. They then go on to prove this by basically a list of grievances, a list of these usurpations, and then it ends with this statement. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they will have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish con commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I feel like on July 4th, sometimes just reading those words themselves are stronger than any of the commentary we might have to say about them. 
Happy 4th of July. I love this nation. I love our country. And I love that we continue to get better. And we continue to get closer to that ideal of a government that protects that all men and women are created equal. And how do we get closer to making sure we're all able to enjoy those unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? There's something for you to think about this weekend. Until next time. Clowns to the left me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Clowns to the left me.